0: So here we are, Nehemiah chapter 4, the sword and the trowel, which is uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon uh, created a magazine, and and his magazine was called Sword and the Trowel, and it comes out of Nehemiah chapter 4 here uh, that we are in today. So remember, Nehemiah, it's the story, if, 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 if you're new and you're just jumping in, this is a series we're doing through the book of Nehemiah, and, and, and Nehemiah is, is this, he gets this burden to go back, uh, Ezra, and they, they've went back, and they've rebuilt the, uh, the temple, and they, there's some work in Israel that's going on, but, but, the, but there's no walls, and there's no gates. Israel is defenseless against an attack by the enemy, and Nehemiah has this great burden on his heart to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You see, nothing of value and nothing precious can be kept in an unwalled city without any defenses, without, any, without anything to keep the enemy from just coming in and having his way and, and stealing, killing, and destroying. Uh, you can't keep anything precious or nothing of value in an unwalled city. This is true in our own lives as well. I mean, we just really need to have the defensive uh, weaponry of the word of God of of the armor of God on ourselves individually, because the reality of it is is that there is a battle that is raging in the world around us if we don 't see that in this point in time, I i, I don 't even know what to tell us even I mean the, the battle is ramping up i 'm convinced that, that there is a spiritual attack that there is a demonic attack that is that is being foisted upon the world today that, that is increasing. In magnitude, just by the week, it's it's just—it's amazing. It's—it's amazing the number of leaders that we're losing, the people who are stepping away, people who are overwhelmed, and, and just the nations and the struggle, obviously, in Israel and with Palestine. There's so much thought and there's so much confusion that's going on out there in the world today, and there is a spiritual origin to this. There's a spiritual undercurrent to all of these things. There, we, don't, we don't just have a physical life that's separated by a spiritual life, which we attend to on Sunday. It's all spiritual. Everything that is going on in our lives and in our world has a spiritual underpinning to it. <clears throat> now, let's remember, too, that Nehemiah and, and, he and his buddies all begin this venture They don't really have the expertise nor the resources that they would really like to have at that point in time. We're looking at people who are goldsmiths and perfumers and priests and... These are the people who are building the walls. These are common people. They're not experts. They're not masons. This isn't like a whole crew of masons that really know what they're doing. They don't have the expertise that they would like to have and they don't necessarily have the resources they'd like to have either because they're not getting fresh cut stones from a quarry somewhere. They're rifling through the rubble of a fallen wall and they're trying to rebuild it up. But you see, when God is doing something, when it's God who's at work, He's the one who resources us. He's the one who qualifies us. If God has called you, He will qualify you. We don't God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies those whom He calls. <coughs> Excuse me. So anytime we're building a kingdom in our own lives in the lives of our family, in the community that we live in, we can have to understand that, that there is going to be opposition to that, that there are going to be things that come into that That are going to come against what God is wanting to do in our world and in our lives. One way, many times, that we can know and understand that we are actually involved in things of the kingdom or kingdom work is is that there is opposition that comes against us. Paul says if you live a life in Christ, you will be persecuted. Not you might be persecuted. Not there's, a, there's a, you know, a high percentage chance you'll be persecuted. You will be persecuted. If we begin to really live our lives for Christ, if we really begin to live out the gospel and to proclaim the gospel to the world around us, you're going to meet opposition. You're going to meet a pushback from the enemy in that. Let's look into this. Chapter 4, verse 1, Nehemiah. Now when Sanballat had heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and said, yes, What they are building, if a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. So this is often the the tactics of the enemy. The enemy moves into a place of wanting to discourage us, of bringing discouragement into our lives. And discouragement is a very effective tool in our lives. And, and, and it starts to look, it, it starts to take shape in this. I mean, look at what's going on here. It says, he jeered at them, he got angry, and then he begins to accuse them or taunt them. And let's remember that, that Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He's, he's the one who is bringing accusation all the time against us. And, and you know, there's kind of this, this tool that he uses of discouragement, and, and it begins to kind of play out many times in that inner voice. We begin to try to do something different or live in a different way. We, we begin to live for the things of God and, and, and all of a sudden you start to hear that. Ah. Who do you think you are? What, what do you think you're actually doing? Do you know if they actually knew about you, everything about you? That they would reject you? That, 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 that they wouldn't even value your work your work isn't even valuable the very things that you're doing it has no real substance or no real merit to it even if a fox jumps on it the whole thing's going to come down the enemy begins to to bring these kinds of voices to us and sometimes that voice can come from conversations that we're having on the inside sometimes it's somebody externally it could be a family member it could be even somebody within the church that just begins to to bring accusation. You see, this is is what the world begins to do too against the church. The world would like to just cancel the church right now, right? You're not allowed to have a point of view that is contrasting to the ideology that's being pushed out there in the world today. There's there's not an allowance in even academia or education or many times in science of, of an alternate thought or point of view. Many of these things have already come to a conclusion. And it's just this voice of the enemy that is just accusing us. Wanting to cancel you. Saying like, hey, if you, if you actually said that. Or if you actually stood up for this truth. Or, or you began to voice an alternate idea. That, that, that you're going to be a hater. Or you're going to be a bigot. Or you're just a jerk. That, that, and this is the voice of the enemy, and it's important that we, we begin to understand and hear the voice of the enemy for what it is, because it's, it's, it's here, and it's, it's going to come against you. It's important to know that, that, that there's a truth that's out there, the, a truth that, that, that transcends this other voice that, that overpowers it, that always wins. And, and it's God's voice, and we need to recognize that. <clears throat> I gotta I gotta confess to you guys that, that this week was well, actually yesterday in particular. No, it was Friday. It was Friday, wasn't it? So Friday, I go and I, I gotta get some stuff. I'm doing a house project. And I go and, and I'm at this auto parts store and I'm listening, and, and I don't have to listen. It's not like I'm like it's not like I'm listening into a conversation. There's this conversation that is coming out, and it's there's an employee that's involved, you know, having this conversation, and I just want to I'm going to spare you the details of what the conversation was, but it enraged me. I got so mad. It just this thing just boiled up on the inside of me because of the things that were being discussed, And, and and I think that getting upset at what was being discussed was right. But I reacted in the wrong way. And I went over to the register, and I was like, hey, how about if you get me out of here right now? <laughs> I did. And, and the guy came over, this guy that was involved, and, and I, just, I, I just gave the guy the business. I mean, I just said, look, man, I was just going to tell you some things, man. The things that you're talking about have zero to do with manhood. And there's a whole other way of what it looks like to be a man in this world, and blah blah, blah, blah. I just went off on him. I did. <laughs> I went off on this guy, <coughs> and I really, I really gave him the business, and on the way home, I'm like, man, I don't know, and so I got home, and I said, I got home, and Anna's there, I said, you're not going to believe what I just did, I just, I just got so upset, I just got so mad at this guy. And what he was talking about, and and, and it, it just it brought up this thing in me, and and I said I just I just jumped all down this guy's throat, and I said I don't know I said I think I'm gonna have to probably go back, and she said well, you know, um, you're probably not gonna have that great a day if you don't. <laughs> so I said you're right. So I went back, and I went back to this place, and I just said hey man can I talk to you, and I just went I said can we go outside here. And, not fight, just talk. <laughs> Can we just talk? And, and so I just went back. And, and, and be glad you don't have to do this, okay? Because you may, you may find yourself in, in these spots or these positions sometimes where you got to go and you got to apologize to somebody. But you don't have to admit to them that you're a pastor who passes a church here locally, okay? <laughs> I do. And so, so I just said, hey, man, I just want to tell you that, that what you were talking about, I've, I've, I've lived some stuff like that. And I just want to tell you that there's not life in that, that there's not goodness in that for you or for the people that are involved with all of that. And I said, you know, I really have a heart to see men step up and be men of blessing, to be men of integrity and men of courage. And I said, you know, you may or may not believe it, but I'm a pastor here in town. And I I just, you know... I'd love to sit down and talk to you and visit with you. And I certainly want to invite you to church. And I gave him a card for the church. And, you know, and I said, if, uh, you know, if you can, if you'd find it, I'd love to have you, you know, kind of a thing. And we had a good conversation. We really did. We honestly did. It, it ended very well. And he even said, yeah, I might come to church, you know. So you could pray that this guy comes to church and that God works good out of my own screw-ups. See, because this is the thing. And what I told him is I, I just apologized to him. And I said, you know what? I did not I didn't talk to you respectfully. I didn't treat you as, um, as Christ would. I wasn't Christ. I was, a poor, um, I was a poor example of Christ to you. And I'm sorry for that. And I ask you to forgive me. And so he did. He forgave me. And he asked me to forgive him for his conversation. And I forgave him. And we ended kind of in a good spot. So you can pray about this, but see, see, so many times, see, we can be right, but being right can be the most dangerous place that you can be in, right? Because I don't know about you, but it's when I'm right, I can easily justify doing the wrong thing in about 0.2 seconds. And that's what I did. And so I hope I haven't completely shattered your, your uh, version of your thoughts of me uh, today, um, I've told you before, the reality of it is, is that if you want really Mr. Nicey Nice Pastor, I'm probably not your guy. I'm not always that. I think I'm nice, but, but I'm not always Mr. Nicey Nice in all situations. And if I haven't let you down before now, um, sorry, it was just a matter of time. <laughs> but you see... Here, this guy, he's jeering at these guys. He's jeering at the things of God. He is bringing accusation against God's people. But look at what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah went straight to God. Nehemiah went straight to God in prayer. And this is something that I didn't do. I went straight to try and what he was thinking and how upset that this made try. Try. Uh, but Nehemiah went straight to God. He didn't trade insults. He didn't even personalize it. He just went straight to God because he knew that it was an attack not against him personally, but against God. And I think that that's something too as we talk about these things and we understand as the church and as God's people that the, the things that come against us and some of the ideologies even that we really need to stand against, we need to recognize that those aren't personal assaults on us. These are things that are coming from the world. We need to not be offended. We need to learn to be a people who are not offended. And I thought I was doing pretty good at that till Friday. So anyway, he didn't personalize it. He didn't trade insults. He knew that it was attack against God. And he begins a prayer asking God not to gloss over the whole whole thing and just not to let it slide. It says this. Hear, O God, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. And then it takes a switch and he says this. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This idea of building, wall building, this is a corporate thing. This isn't something that Nehemiah is doing alone. He's doing this with a group of people, but you see, because they kept the first thing first, because they kept the focus on the main thing, they didn't allow themselves to be distracted by what Sanballat and, uh, was, was saying about them. They, they kept their mind about the work that was in front of them. I'll remind us, our work is making disciples. Making disciples of Jesus for God's glory and our shared joy. And that we shouldn't allow the things of the world, the politics of the world, all of the different messages, all of the confusion, all of the different things that are coming our way should not take us away from the job that we've been tasked with, which is simply to make disciples. To not get sideways in the middle of the whole thing. Don't get me wrong. All of the things that we're talking about, the The ideologies, the accusations, the politics, those are important things, but they're not the main thing. You see, the main thing in this whole uh, section here isn't the defense of all of it, it's the building of it. And the defense of it is a necessary portion to build. But they were all of the same mind. They had a mind to work. And so this is what it's going to take. If we want to see change in the world... It's going, to see, it's going to take the church with a mind to work, with a desire to, to join in, to bring your giftings, to bring your talents, to actually enter in to be disciples and to be discipling, to understand, to know God's word, to read this and to know it so that we have a hope that we can offer to people, an understanding so that we can refute the arguments and the things that are brought against God. We've got to keep the focus on the main thing. We've got to stay the course. We've got to keep the vision. We've got to keep the mission going. And we cannot allow discouragement to win because discouragement is a great tool of the enemy. When you meet with some discouragement, when you're trying to do something for the kingdom of God, when discouragement, when accusations come, when, there's, when there is a, uh, an opposition to what you're doing, Take heart and know. Maybe I'm right in the middle of it. Maybe I'm right in the middle of what God has for me right now. Maybe that God is working through this trial to create something in me that wasn't there before. To create endurance, perseverance, right? Consider it pure joy when facing various trials and temptations. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then let endurance have it's complete effect in you. To bring us to a place of, 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 of finishing. God is using the difficulties in our lives. He's, he's upending those things. He's going to use those very things that the enemy would bring to discourage us to defeat the enemy. This is exactly Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah's prayer is this, is, is turn back their taunt on their own heads. Defeat them with the very thing that they were going to defeat us with. You see, in the In the story of David and Goliath, David takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. Now, we don't teach that in children's church, but we should so that they know the whole word of God, not just the slingshot. He takes what was meant to destroy and to kill him, and he actually defeats his enemy with that very thing. He puts an end to it with the very thing that was meant to put an end to him. Don't allow discouragement to win. But here goes. Be ready, though, because it's going to ramp up. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So the enemy is going to step up his game. If you can't be discouraged, he's going to step up his game. It's going, to, it's going to increase. It is going to increase before it decreases. And the enemy wants to use something called fear to turn you back, to turn you away. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Why is it that God is always talking to us about fear? It's because we're a fearful people. And we're afraid of this and this scenario. And what if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? Or what if this works out this way? Or it doesn't work out this way? Or or all of these different things. You see, and generally, the fears that we have, Nikki Gumbel says, that they are unfounded fears. You see, the only fear that you and I are meant to have is the fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom when we begin to fear the one who is worthy to be feared, it begins to dissolve all of the unfounded fears that we begin to live with all the time, the phobias that we tend to have. You see, those fears melt away in the face of a God who's rightly to be feared and respected and put in awe. And when we understand that, when we come to an understanding of who this God is and the awe that he inspires in us, You see, we can let go of those phobias and those fears because we understand that those things cannot come against us. That no weapon formed against us will will prosper. It won't succeed against us. Why? Not because of us, not because of who we are, not because of our abilities, but because of this God whom we're serving. What do they do? They hear this. They're, They're angry. They all plot together. They want to come against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. I told you that this is an age-old story that is still playing out today. Why is it that the nations of the world want to destroy Israel for all of history? Interesting thing, something to think about. Again, where does Nehemiah go? And we prayed to our God, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So just a little thought here about prayer a little thought about the natural and the spiritual. So in the spiritual, they, they're praying to God. They're making their, 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 their appeal to God. They're asking God to, to be there, to be their defense. But they also set up a guard. They do on their end what is wise and what is right and what will help. Because God is generally going to use his people in these scenarios. When David is confronted with Goliath, everything about uh, David is knowing that it's God who's going to be victorious for him, right? He understands this. He knows that it's God who's going to fight this battle for him. But when he goes and he picks stones, it says before he's going to fight Goliath, it says he goes and he picks five smooth stones. Interesting. He didn't just go pick one stone, nor did he go pick five just whatever stones. Like, oh, just God's going to do it. God's going to deliver this stone. Now, he knows that. But on his end of the thing, he still goes and gets good, smooth, round stones capable of flying as straight and as fast as they can. Sometimes we want to just take prayer and have it absolve us of any responsibility or any part. We just want to kind of just be kind of codependent with God and just dump all of our problems in his lap Which, don't get me wrong, he's good with that, but he also is going to call us to action. He's also going to join with us in that. And so David, even though he knew that Goliath was going to fall, even though he knew it was God who was going to deliver the stone to knock him down, to kill him, basically, uh, he picked five good ones. Five is also the number of grace. He was dependent and knew that it was God's grace that was going to empower him to do that. See, we see the number five, and we see it associated with grace all the time. Abraham wasn't always Abraham. Before he was Abraham, he was Abram. But it says that he believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. So before the law, before any of this, Abraham was saved by his faith in God. Before any of he, he couldn't he was saved by God's grace, the same way that you and I are today. And he went from being Abram to Abraham. Now, the H huh, in, the, in, the, in Hebrew, there isn't a numerical system, and so they assign a numerical value to their alphabet. So, the H huh, in Abraham, he added a fifth letter to him, A-B-R-A-H, and guess what the value of the H is? It's five, because Abraham was saved by God's grace. David picked five smooth stones. Why? Because he was understanding and reliant upon God's grace to deliver him from this system and from, this, from, from Goliath. The woman at the well, she'd had five husbands. Her need was for grace, not another relationship. So Nehemiah goes, and he goes to prayer, and he sets a guard. Verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. Now, oh, and our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes." See, even God's people can allow fear to begin to rule. The people came from all sides, and they had understood. They they came to hear this plan. It was God that frustrated the plans of the enemy and exposed the plans to the people of God. But then the people of God come to Nehemiah, the people of Judah, and they're like, they're going to kill you. You got to come with us. You got to get out of here. You got to quit this. You got to quit this endeavor of trying to build the walls. You got to quit. You got to come with us 10 times. You got to quit. You got to quit. You got to quit. You got to come with us. You got to quit. And see, fear can be this thing that begins to rule over us. And then discouragement can even come from within God's people, and it can thwart the calling that's on your life. But Nehemiah, he does the same thing. He's trusting God and he puts guards and he posts them. And then he encourages the people and he says, Look, why don't you fight for what's precious to you? Fight for what's precious for your wives, for your families, for your children, for your homes. And at this point, the wall is half built and it's about half guarded. Again, they don't have necessarily the resources that they would like to have. But here's what happened. When the enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work With one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So they've got the guards. And now they've got their swords, and they've got their trowels, and and, and some of them are, are, are having their sword in their right hand while they're building with their left hand, building with a sword at your side. The sword that we have, this the 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 word of God, it, it, it's the it's the, it's the spirit, it's the soul, or uh, I'm sorry, it's the sword of the spirit, and, and this thing. It, It divides. It divides between our soul and our spirit. It goes into a deep place. And it's this powerful thing that God has given us. But we have to keep building. Here's the other thing. You see, if you put down the sword, all you're left with is building. And many churches, I would say, have went this way, or many organizations, especially a lot of para-organizations started out, and they were very Christian in their heart and in their, in their beginnings, but because they put down the sword, they began to compromise truth. And as they compromised what was true, all they did was build. We saw it in the, in the early days of the church, in the, the social justice movement, where the church wasn't a place where truth was being expounded. It was a place where just social work was happening. People were just doing the good things, but not doing good things while they were proclaiming the truth. You see, the truth has to accompany good things. Good things are no longer good things apart from God and the work of God. And If we put down the doing of things in the building, this is something that other churches have done. And well, now all we have is the sword. And all we're going to do is wield that sword from a place of legalism and a place of self righteousness and judgment and all of those things you see there's a balance it's like an airplane it has to have two wings there has to be a balance between these things and and as a church we have to continue to stand on and proclaim the truth of God's word but we also can't just sit there we have to be effectively reaching the community that we live in we have to be doing we have to be building We have to be a church that if we no longer existed within this community, that the community would miss us. Are we that kind of church? Are we operating as that? Are we operating that way individually? Are we about building? But are we also about building on truth and what's right and what's good? See, our church was founded on Luke 6.48, which is this, this picture of building and building on something that was foundationally solid talks about that if you're wise that you you dig down through the sand right and you build your house on the bedrock because if you just build your house on sand when the storm comes it just washes all that sand right out from underneath the foundation and the whole thing falls down but if we've dug down and we've become a place where foundationally we're we're laying we're, we're laying the foundation on the truth of God, then the building and the things that we do are going to be in alignment with that. And we're going to have a right perspective and a right balance with that. We remember the Lord because He is the one who's fighting. And victory is His. This is a settled thing. You should never let the things of Israel or the world or how things are going really begin to rob your peace because we know how this story ends. We sung it this morning. We understand the end. God has has given us how this is going to end and we know that in the end, Jesus is victorious. See, God frustrated the plan. He exposed the plan of the enemy and when the plan of the enemy was exposed or known, the enemy just backed off. He just quit. It's important for believers to understand and to know the tactics and the means by which the enemy is going to approach you. He's, He's going to He's going to accuse you. He's going to shame you. He, he's going to try to take your past and use it against you and me. He's going to try to take present situations that you're in and get things all revved up within yourself to where you've got to go back and you've got to apologize to people later. <laughs> Stuff like that. Understand and know the tactics of the enemy because it frustrates his plan. Half are building here and half are guarding in this situation. Some are building, and while those are building, there's others that are holding them up, that are guarding, that are watching, that are being aware, you see? Because awareness is an incredibly important part of this deal. See, if you're aware, you, you can have some time. And if you have time, you have options. But if you're unaware, things are going to catch you by surprise, you see, we, we need to know how we're going to react to things before we're in those scenarios. If we have a propensity towards something, if we have a propensity towards, you know, messing up in a certain way or, 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 or struggling or the enemy coming against us, when we understand his plan and we understand how we're going to react before we're in that situation, it helps us, it buys time and options for us as to how we're going to react. And the enemy's all around 1 Peter 5 be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is the enemy. He's waiting for any opportunity. He's, he's waiting for any breach in the wall. He's, he's waiting for any opportunity to pounce. And I'm going to say this, when you're starting to turn your life around, when you're starting to live for the things of God, when you're kingdom-oriented and you're kingdom-minded and you're building the kingdom, he's going to come against you and he's going to come against you in a hard way. And you can just rest assured in that. But God is victorious and God is greater than our deepest struggles. God is greater than any struggle that the enemy can bring against us. But you got to go to him. And you've got to begin to put things in your life that are wise. You've got to put guards in your life that will help you, that will help you to see that the enemy is coming against you so that we might be ready and girded up and ready for that battle. If you try to do this alone, you're in trouble. The enemy is going to sneak up behind you, and he's most likely going to get you. We need guards around us. Be alert. Be sober-minded, it says. Apart from being sober-minded, he's all over you. See, the work is building. The work is not defending. Too many churches and too many Christians have made the work defending all of this. God doesn't need you to defend him. He does not. He does not need you to defend him. He needs you and I To build. And the defending that we do is done in light of building so that we can build. Building in pairs. Do ministry with other people. If you're doing ministry alone, it's a bad spot. You have no guard. There's nobody who's watching. There's nobody there who is is preemptive on what the enemy, the attack of the enemy is going to look like. We're alone. When we're alone, we're stuck in our own minds with our own thoughts. And the enemy is able to have a heyday of discouragement for us in that place. And we want to rally to the trumpet. When, we, when there's a struggle, when, there's, when the enemy has attacked one of ours in this place and brought discouragement and brought pain, brought loss, brought hard things, we need to be a community of people to rally to that trumpet, to come around that person, to, to build a, a, a protective wall and a, and a place and to, to fight together, to not leave anybody behind, to be committed to never leave anybody behind. Verse 21, so we labored at the work. And half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem so that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. From the dawn until the stars came out, It's a long day. And this is a long journey. This is why we need endurance. This is why we need God to help us in that, to empower us, to empower us through His grace and through what He's done in our own lives. Because this work that we're trying to do here, it's long. And it's tiresome. And it's hard. and It's not easy. And but it's a time where we just can't, we, we can't allow the enemy his space. We can't just go off guard, be off guard, and be found off guard. So keep guard, church. Be ready. Be watching out for one another. Be scanning the horizon. Understand the times and understand the, tech, the tactics of the enemy. But most importantly, understand that this battle belongs to God, and that he is victorious in this. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that even though we find ourselves in difficult and trying times, that you're not overwhelmed, you're not bewildered, you're not wondering what's next or, or what's to do. You are victorious in this, and, and you are unchanged by our circumstances. Lord, help us to just lay everything down at the cross before you to, to not have anxiety or, or, or a feeling of, of angst in the midst, the midst of what all's going on, but to know that, that you've got us and you've got our back. Help us to really live out this idea that to live is Christ, to die is gain. But while we're here, that we're called to an important work, we're called to a building work. But we're not called to that alone. We're we're called to that, to be part of a body, to be part of a body of believers. And help us, Lord, that we might be that kind of body that serves in our community, that's building within our community, that's loving well, that's extending the gospel, that's making disciples, that is making a difference in the world around us. The only way to change the world is if you change it, Jesus. It's the only way that we're really going to see something different. In and of ourselves, we're, we are, uh, our destiny is, is just the same old stuff that we've been seeing. So, Lord, we're asking for you to revive us, to revive your church and to revive the world around us, to bring a revival, to, to change hearts, to change minds, and help us to be prepared and ready for that. And, Lord, keep us from discouragement. Keep us encouraged. Keep us in your grace and your love. Help us to remember that when we fall short, that that you've paid the penalty for sin and that you you restore us and that you use us. Thank you, God, that you are using uh, what's broken to make something whole. And we ask that you would uh, just have your way in each heart here in Jesus' name. Amen.